That's not original with me, but that's where the spiritual battle needs to be fought at a, a, a much of the time. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Therefore, or excuse me, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying always with all power and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The tools of the soldier are listed there and we're to use them effectively. Every day we need to put on the armor of God. And you can say, Gene, are you doing that? I'm going to have to confess, no, I need to. We need to take the time. We need to assemble uh, the armor that, that God has provided for us and to wear it. The offensive weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and prayer, to being praying always. And it doesn't say to have knee pads, <laughs> but the prayer bones are a part of what we need to be. If you don't know what the prayer bones are, I'm talking about my knees, okay? Um, remember I had knee surgery, and uh, the doctor says, you do a lot of kneeling, don't you? <laughs> it's just my work. I'd like to say, like they described James, the, the author of the book of James, his nickname was Old Camel Knees because he had knelt so much. And um, it's through work that I get calluses on my knees. So the, the diligence of a soldier who trains and uh, he, he is able to um, just fall back on that training. That's the way we need to be too. There's a, a, you, you may not rise to your highest level of expectation, but you're going to fall to the level of your training. Um, I'm thinking of uh, like in athletics. We'll get into that in a little bit because I'm gonna, the next one is the athlete. But your training, you may watch. Uh, another individual in a sport and say, well, this is what I would have done. I, I just love Monday morning quarterbacks. I went out at work one day, four or five guys were talking about the games and I brought out a piece of paper and a pencil. I said, can I get your autographs? What for? I said, I have not seen four professional coaches stand in one place at the same time. They didn't think that was very funny. But they certainly knew a lot about the game. But we can stand and observe and see where something wasn't done correctly or we think something should have been done differently. And if I put myself in that situation, am I going to rise to my level of expectation or am I going to drop to the extent of my training? And that is what we need to be working for, where our training level is higher so that we are able to complete the things that... Uh, Paul is calling us to, or the God is calling us to in this chapter. <clears throat> Verse 5, and if anyone, all, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned until he com 
competes, oh my goodness, and if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I think we have all seen or heard of someone who has not played fairly, rules are broken, um, drug abuse, those kinds of things that happen within athletics, that uh, um, the, the early games that Paul is referring to, the athletes had to um, verify, I don't know what the right word is, that they had trained for 10 months. So they weren't just a, 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 an amateur jumping into this. And I mentioned earlier about the wrestling coach that we had in high school who had wrestled in the 68 and 72 Olympics. They trained and trained and trained. And he just, you know, it was constant. It wasn't 10 months. But an athlete is going to be someone who pushes himself in order to uh, be crowned um, with the award that he is seeking. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. I'm really curious, you know, Paul was a Pharisee, but I wonder what kind of an individual he was. He refers to sports metaphors so often. Uh, if he was athletic, I don't know, or is it just the culture he was in? I, I don't know the answers to that. But here in uh, verse 24, of uh, 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to go through two three verses here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. We had a program here called Olympians, and uh, we sang a song called, running the theme song, Running the Race for Jesus. And there were some motions with it, and... I never understood the verse with that, that motions because it was so lackadaisical. But it says, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. And the motions and, and what we did with that just did not fit what I found out that verse means. Um, pressing toward the mark was a straining. It was an intense force to get there. And I always just thought it was kind of this kind of just jogging. Sorry, this is not very pretty to watch, but just this kind of jogging with my hand forward to get something. But here's something that Paul is saying, that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Stride, push. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown because they would get a laurel leaf uh, crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So I don't know, did Paul train? But he certainly understood it. He spoke of it well. And 
One thing that a soldier goes through and an athlete, I'm going to put them together here, is voluntary hardship. How many of you like hardship? We face hardship. It just comes at times. Voluntary hardship. And that's that straining, that pressing, that pushing. Are you willing to do what it takes? We've been talking about the masculinity, the manliness of Christ. Uh, a husband's role, a father's role is to protect and provide. A lot of us think of protect as a physical pro protection. Can you take down an attacker to your family to protect those behind you? Have you trained? Have you put yourself in voluntary discomfort, voluntary hardship, in order when that time comes, you are able to. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just beat the daylights out of him. I don't know if this is, I suppose this is going out. That's really not politically correct. But I am going to protect my family. That's what you say, but you're going to fall to the level of your training. And what is your training? So Paul is emphasizing here as an athlete who works hard, and as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, that they have a passion for what they're in. They are very, very dedicated to what they're in. And then an athlete does not have a, uh, a space for lapse in his lifetime while he is competing. He must continually train. Let's just turn back a couple of pages here to chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> verse 19 verse 19 and 20 Paul is saying or do you not know that the, the, the heading in above verse 12 in my Bible says glorify God in body and spirit and he says here I'm going to take this into a, a, a physical sense and as an athlete or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Above verse 20, I have written in my note or in my Bible, surrender and be available. If you were bought at a price. I am here and I'm not in a bag of bones just to haul my head around. That's how I look at it. <clears throat> we are here to serve God with our body. And as an athlete who is competing in a race or a, a fight, whatever it is that he's involved in, he has got his body to the performance that can do what he needs to do. And do we have a body that we are taking care of so that we are able to do the ministry that God has called us to? I think of that a lot, that <clears throat> we have a temple, and how well am I caring for the temple? Um, how well did the Jews, the Israelites, first off take care of the tabernacle, and then as Solomon was able to build a temple, and you read what that was like, how well did they take care of it? What kind of craftsmen worked on that temple? And <clears throat> what was the purpose of that temple? 
And when God came into that temple, it was an amazing, beautiful, awe-inspiring thing. We have a temple that the Holy Spirit is in. God in us. The Holy Spirit in us. Praise him for that. How well are you caring for that? As an athlete, they would have to diet and exercise and be disciplined in order to compete well. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. We had a young man stop yesterday by our place. He's checking the crops. He came in on a side-by-side, little four-wheel vehicle. And they have some really big equipment when they're out farming. I mean, it's, it's big equipment. You think of what it was like to put a crop in in Paul's day. My dad was born in 1902. He got married late. He was 57 years old when I was born. So you think of someone born in 1902. Uh, World War I, he was a, a young teenager. World War II, he was in his 40s. And think of the farming that would have happened between World War I and World War II. My dad and uncle and grandpa farmed with horses for a long time. They had a, a small dairy farm. They actually bottled the milk on the farm and delivered it with a horse-drawn wagon. And uh, Dad said it was always trouble when you got a new customer because the horse always wanted to stop at the same places. You had to break the horse to stop at, you got to stop at Olson's too, not just Peterson's and Wilson's. You got to stop there too. And the work that those guys did physically, this is, I'm only talking 100 years ago. Steel plows compared to wooden ones. Little house in the prairie. Uh, pa Ingalls, when they were in, that would have been little house in the big woods, they had wooden plows in that soil. They got in the prairie, a wooden plow wouldn't work. Behind an ox or a horse or a mule, you're walking that whole field. It wasn't 160 acres that you were farming, enough to sustain your family and hopefully profit so that you could live on. My dad talked about uh, working for a registered Holstein breeder by Lake Elmo. He milked cows four times a day by hand, and they had to weigh every milking. He said the best part of that job was waking up twice a day because <laughs> they got to take a nap. But they milked at 6 and at noon, 6 in the morning, 6 at noon. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, 6 o'clock comes four times a day here. 6, noon, 6 p.m., and midnight. And he said, everything by hand. And he said, if, we, if a cow kicked a pail over, we had to write LM. Oh, what's LM mean? Lost milking. And he says, my forearms were bigger than anyone else except the dentist. Imagine the grip of milking cows by hand all that time. And that was hard work. And then picking corn. By hand, they walked the field, and he says, Gene, the only thing you thought about was getting the next year faster than the last year. And they had a, a what they, he, he called it a bang board on the wagon. You would throw the corn and it hit the, the, the board and then fall into the wagon. And they talked about how many ears of corn they could have in the air at once. 
And I think they ate really good. <laughs> I'd have been hungry. But that's, that's 100 years ago. What was it like farming? You know, when, when I read verse uh, Psalm 1, the chaff, they sometimes would, you know, you would throw the, the grain up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff, and then your heavy grain would settle again. I mean, everything difficult. Endure, endure, endure. The, the, the farmer had to be patient. He had to be dependent on God, which we, still, that has not changed. Well, some of us can, some of us, some farmers can turn on a center pivot to run rain, an irrigation system. But boy, you're dependent on the weather. And there are extremes. Heat, cold, dry, wet. Farmer must endure. So the first command was in verse 2, be strong. The second one is commit these to faithful men. Third is endure as a soldier, as an athlete, as a hardworking farmer. The fourth one is consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And this reflects back to what was read at the opening, that we would consider, we would reflect, we would, we would know the mind of God, we would, we would understand and be able to do the will of God that he's called us to. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Consider. Verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Praise the Lord. That is our hope. Gospel in a nutshell. Um, just going to go there first. Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 verses, I'll start, start with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you First of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Christ was born. He was <laughs> raised, lived a life, had a ministry. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died, and he rose again. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ who conquered death, who conquered sin for you. This is what Paul is asking us to do, that we would consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding of all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And this is what happens to Paul because of the gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. Paul is a phenomenal example for us to follow. He did not back down in persecution. He stood boldly and preached faithfully, regardless of the cost. So he says in verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
Aren't you thankful for Paul? Aren't you thankful for God calling a terrorist, <laughs> really, a Jewish terrorist, killing Christians to become probably the greatest apostle who lived? He was a man. He was a sinner. He failed. Don't look to Paul. He's an example. But look to the Jesus Christ that he followed. And as we transition to a new pastor, I think as you look at men in the past who have served and have been faithful and then they start to wane and things start to fall apart or they're living a life that isn't what it looked like on the outside and we're so disappointed but that's what men do <laughs> pastor parker i still remember back there after we were baptized he said remember this we are not a perfect church and i am not a perfect pastor and you are not perfect people you will let us down and we will let you down and you know how much grief that has saved Kathy and I over the years. Love covers a multitude of sins. We are going to fail. Men in the ministry will fail. Paul was a phenomenal example. But his focus was not, look at Paul, look at Paul. It was Jesus Christ. And that is my plea with you today. Look to Jesus, that he is the one. He endured. He was committed. He did not back down. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with glory. Let's close in prayer. I'll ask the worship team to come up. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his perfection. Thank you for his total obedience. He was deity, and it's hard to sometimes keep this in mind, that Jesus Christ was the God-man. He was the one who you called. He was the perfect, perfect, absolute perfect Savior, perfect Lamb to take away the sin of the world and to allow us, through putting our faith and trust in him, that we may have a relationship with you. And I pray, Father, as we... Uh, consider and we commit, we endure that you would bless us as we seek to bless you and that the ministry in this local community would grow and that we would be uh, faithful and obedient believers. We ask for your blessings, Father. We thank you for what you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.